Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another morning and for good songs. God, it's, it's such a blessing to see how uh, song and, and music can uh, serve our hearts and bless us and, and really get us in a position to hear the word. That, that's what it's designed for in, in some ways, and, and that's what's happening. God, we love Sunday mornings. It's been a great, great week, great weekend, and yet now we've come to what is the main event for us. God, we have not limped in here uh, hoping to give you the last uh, 5% of our strength, but rather we're here because we know you to be the king. We know you to be God Almighty and our Father in heaven. And so, Father, we're, we're asking you to feed us now with the truth, with the bread of life, with Jesus and the written word. And we pray in his name. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I believe it's page 920 or something right there in the Pew Bible, the Black Pew Bible, uh, 921, 922, something like that. We're at Mark chapter 4. We're going to look today at verses 26 through 34. Jesus here concludes his teaching in parables. And we'll look at two parables today. You ever, you ever had somebody in your life that just helps you understand better? Whatever that might be. Perhaps it was a good coach that just uh, really elevated your uh, game because they could explain things so well. They knew how to talk and how to meet you where you were at. Perhaps it was a teacher in school that could take something like algebra or geometry and make it fun to you if that's even possible but you know what I mean a teacher that was just good at helping you learn in the same way in a spiritual religious sense there are gifted preachers and teachers that can do the same I hope that you know of people that you enjoy truly listening to you are glad to hear them preach and teach for me uh, Pastor Alistair Begg out of Ohio is, is that to me. He's on the radio every morning at, at 8 a.m. It's called Truth for Life. He is outstanding at bringing together, in my opinion, great big doctrinal truths from the Word of God and yet applying it to uh, a simple man like myself who can get it and, and get it to make sense. And So I like, I like listening to him. Good teachers know that the goal is not to just communicate a message, but the goal is for the listener, the learner, the student, if you will, the person, to receive it with all of the, the weightiness of which you wanted them to receive it. That's the purpose. The purpose is for, for, uh, for me today to believe this with my whole heart, to have this gripping me, moving me, changing me, bothering me, propelling me to live a life of love and mercy and hospitality and service for the glory of God. And for me today to get out of here at, around lunchtime and you all to say, wow, the word of God is real and it's active and it's, 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 it's doing something in my life. That's the goal. Well, we have no better example than Jesus at being this. Jesus is the greatest teacher the world has ever known. Jesus chose not the wisest guys around to invest in. He chose the most foolish guys around to invest in. And he could teach 
big things to them. And those guys went from being uneducated men that had no idea to, listen to me, not being any smarter, not being any more educated, uneducated men who were ready to go and teach. Can you be encouraged here today that we're not hoping you get any smarter or any more learned or anything like that in order to be faithful unto Jesus, but that you would just be getting it from him. When I say getting it, I mean you would be more understanding. You would say, I know God. I have a Father in heaven. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't have to have all the answers. You have to learn from Jesus. We see him being a master at this in the parables. Today I'm combining two, the parable of the seed growing, which is exclusive to Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John, don't tell this parable. And then the parable of the mustard seed, which you have probably heard before. So we have the great teacher, Jesus, teaching. May we learn from him today. I want to have three points today, but they're not going to be very profound. Number one, there is a king with a kingdom. Number one, there is a king with a kingdom. Number two, the king's kingdom is growing. We're going to specifically look at how it's growing. And then number three, the king's kingdom is majestic. It is big and strong and kingly and large. But it didn't begin that way, but it's becoming that. So we have the king and his kingdom We have his growing kingdom, and we have his majestic kingdom. Please read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 26. He said, The kingdom of God is is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. You see how masterful he is at teaching? There may not be a bigger, greater subject in the world than the kingdom of God. No matter who you're talking to, the kingdom of God is complex. And Jesus says, it's like this. A man scattering seed on the ground. Wow. Take something as simple as a farmer. Take something as huge as the kingdom of God. And in one simple statement say, it's like this. And bring it together. This is Jesus. It's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and notice this phrase, if you like to underline things, if you struggle with anxiety, if you are a worrier, if you want to control your own life, if you think God seems to not know how to control your life very well, you don't like the way he's leading it, you need to hear this part. He knows not how. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear Than the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Verse 30, and he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, 
He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Twice in both these passages, verse 26 and verse 30, Jesus has introduced the kingdom of God. That's our subject. In the Gospel of Matthew, you don't have the phrase kingdom of God. You have kingdom of heaven, but it's the same idea. Jesus is now here teaching on the kingdom of God. So you today are hearing a sermon on Jesus teaching the kingdom of God, and it's, it's, it's excellent. I want to remind you that there is no one more fit to speak on the kingdom of God than the king of the kingdom of God. If you look at chapter 1, I think I'm pointing you back to this verse every time we're here. Chapter 1, verse 15. I hope you've learned this verse by now. Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. What brought the kingdom of God here, the reason why it is at hand, it is tangible, reachable, you can see it, feel it, you can experience the kingdom of God. The reason why the kingdom of God is not something right now just floating around in the heavens. The reason why the kingdom of God is right here. You are experiencing the kingdom of God here today. The reason why is because the king is now here. He has left his throne. He has come to earth. He became a man. God took on flesh so that we could see it at hand, so we could know what he's like, hear how he talks. We could get a great picture of him so that he could teach us in this simple, uh, understandable way. The kingdom of God became at hand so that we could hear it, know it, learn it, so that we could understand it. It is here. And so, in chapter 4, where we're at today, Jesus is speaking on it. All that to say that there is a king and he has a kingdom. Sometimes it's hard to make sense of what exactly is the kingdom of God. If I would have asked you that at the outset, you probably would have answered that it is heaven. And yes, the kingdom of God is heaven, but it is, it is more than that. The kingdom of God is anything and anywhere where the king reigns. That's a simple explanation. The kingdom of God is anything and anywhere where the king reigns. If Jesus reigns in your heart today, and you may not have all the answers to life, but you sit here today, broken in your sins, needing forgiveness of sins, yet loving the God who loves you as a sinner, that was our uh, uh, scripture reading today, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners. You're here, still a sinner, but knowing that God loves you and that Jesus died for your sins. If your heart is embracing that here today, you right there in your seat are the kingdom the kingdom of God is in here now this building is not the kingdom of God and, and I'm going to assume that not every single one of you are the kingdom of God because some of you have not believed yet have not turned away from your sins but for those of you here today trusting right there by faith alone that God loves you and he has forgiven you of your sins through what Jesus did on the cross you are the kingdom of God and the king reigns in your heart he says this a little bit better in Luke chapter 17. Don't turn there, just listen. Being asked by the Pharisees, because they have all these questions about the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God would come, so that's the question. Hey, Jesus, when's the kingdom of God going to come? Now, he already said that it's here. They didn't get it. He already said it's here. They didn't understand that. So they're asking, when's this kingdom of God coming? Well, if you see Jesus, you know the kingdom of God is here. But that's their question. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not, this is Luke 17, 20 and 21. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Stop looking for it like it's something other, he says. 
Nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's right there wherever Jesus is reigning as king. If you have seen a church where it looks like God Almighty in his grace and love is truly working, you have seen pictures of the kingdom of God. If you've seen a home where it looks like a husband is leading his wife with a sacrificial love and the wife says, I love to follow my husband because of the way he loves me, you have seen a picture of the kingdom of God. If you've ever seen a dad be so good to his children that he leads and disciplines and guides and teaches and instructs in order to bring them closer to understanding God, you've seen a picture of the kingdom of God. If you've ever seen somebody repent of their sins and say, I need God to forgive me, I'm wrong. My heart is bitter, I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm mad, I'm frustrated. If you've seen that and somebody bow their heart down and say, Lord, have mercy on you, then you've seen a picture of the kingdom of God. And that is telling of the king. I want to read to you a few passages. If you take notes, just jot these down. No reason to try to keep up with me on all of them. In Acts chapter 17, the gospel is spreading like crazy, and here's what happens. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, that's a town, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, so you're talking a good two weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Jesus Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Savior. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. We don't know who Jason is, but they attacked his house, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not, listen to this, when they could not find the followers of Jesus, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So the Christians, not because they really are turning the world upside down, but because they are proclaiming Jesus and people are believing, everybody else is getting upset about it. Jason has received them into his house. He's welcomed them, being hospitable, loving, and kind. He's received them into his house, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Caesar tells them they cannot worship Jesus, and they are worshiping Jesus. And listen to what he says Jason has told them. So they are mad at Jason, and Jason says this. We cannot obey Caesar. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 7, saying that there is another king, Jesus. That's a great verse for you to know. Their lives, Jason's home, we don't know much about Jason. Jason's house has been turned upside down because he has come to know there is a king in the universe. We just got back from Ecuador and they struggle big time in Ecuador politically. They have a president named Rafael Correa who continues to change their constitution to allow him to be president for as long as he wants to be president. There's some difficulty there with the president of Ecuador. We're in a political season right now. We're all going to get to vote here in November. And for for many of us, we're not really sure who we should vote for. And many times, we tend to think that it looks like our world is so messed up that we can't even enjoy life. It's a good reminder here from Acts chapter 17 that bigger than everything that we can look around and see right now is a bigger kingdom. One where the throne is right where it's always been. 
one where the one who sits on that throne is right where he's always been. His reign has not even began to be shaken. He's the king. There is a King Jesus. And I realize that when you look around right now, it may be quick for you, it may be easy or, or rather quick for you to forget that. But I want you to hear today from the Word of God that Jesus is a king and Jesus has a kingdom. Do you remember, listen to this, do you remember when Jesus was already on the way to the cross, almost there, and they take him on trial and they bring him before Pontius Pilate? And Pilate says, Well, you, let, let me ask you, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus doesn't answer. He says, if you're the king of the Jews, then why don't you do something about this? Some king you think you are. You remember that, right? This is right before he, he, he says, do y'all want me to let him go? They say, don't let him go. Crucify him. He says, okay, I don't think he's done anything wrong, but it's not my fault. It's on y'all. And they send him to be crucified on the cross. Now, we know that he was going to the cross because he wanted to die for our sins. And he was not going to let anything stop him from being killed on the cross. But in the midst of all of that, Pilate says to him, this is John chapter 18, verse 36. Pilate says to him, are you a king of the Jews? You should be acting like a king if you really are a king. And Jesus speaks up and says, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Don't look for a crown. Don't look for a robe. Don't look for me walking around with all of the, the bold confidence and swagger if you will saying I'm in charge here bow down we're not to that part of the kingdom yet you people are much more needy than you even realize I've got a mission to accomplish sent from my father from the beginning of the world that I would die for them and praise the Lord he did I do want you all to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 1081. 1081, 1081, Philippians chapter 2, the king and his kingdom. Jesus is the king. The kingdom is at hand. Here are two parables on what the kingdom is like. But before we get into those parables, I'm looking at the king and his kingdom. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, look here, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why will every knee bow and every tongue confess to him? Because he is the king. At the very end of the Bible, the word of God in the book of Revelation, towards the very end, the Bible gives us a picture of him coming back. And when he comes back, it doesn't call him the king. It calls him the king of kings. It calls him the conqueror. It calls him the one who will not be stopped. At that point, it will be too late for anyone to receive salvation and be saved. But I want you to know here today that there is a king, and he has a kingdom, and he is teaching on it. This passage here in Philippians 2 gives us a picture, if you will. It's, 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 very, it's very exciting and, and very, very daunting to picture, listen, 
Every single person in heaven, those that may already be there, on earth, right here, or under the earth, whatever you take that to mean, bowing down like this and confessing, confessing that Jesus is Lord. Not just Fairdale, but every single person in Fairdale. Think about the person that lives next door to you and next door to them and next door to them. Think about the person that lives right across the street from you. One day, they'll be in this position. Think about North Korea. Think about South Africa. Think about Ecuador where we just were. Y'all, every single person that breathes will get in that position one day. For the glory of God. To be worshipped like he should be. And I want you to know that you can go to that moment wanting to be in that moment because this Bible tells us that this great king came and died for you he died on the cross for your sins so there is no denying our sins there is no making excuses for our sins there is no trying to to talk about ourselves in such a good light that we're, we're better than most people that we know all of that is the way worldly people have to be because they don't believe in judgment in heaven but when you know the king and the king died and his grace says he'll forgive you of your sins, any single person here, any one of you all, regardless of what you did last night or regardless of what you did over the last 10 years, every one of you all can know the king. The king is also a friend. It's fascinating that Jesus teaches us this. If you will bow your knee and bow your heart to him, if you will call out to him today that he is Lord and that you want God to be your father and him to forgive you of your sins and you will say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Christ. God will save you from your sins and you can become a Christian so that you look forward to that day in Philippians 2. Some people are fearful of that day. Some people mock that day hoping that it never comes. When it comes, you can be ready for it. I can say with all honesty, with no facetiousness inside of me at all, with all seriousness, I look forward to that day. My heart bows down to him now. I trust in Christ now as Lord, so it will be no new thing for me to do it on that day. I'll be ready. And may you be ready too. And may Val and I and also this church so live so that JJ, Eli, Noah, Carolina, and Liliana are ready as well. That's the whole scope and main scope of parenting, that they would be ready. There is a king, and he has a kingdom. May you be in the kingdom. But then the king gets on in this Mark 4 to some parables. And the first parable that we're going to look at, 26 to 29, is about how, the par about how his kingdom grows. And this is a good parable for America to hear. Uh, we, we need to hear this. This parable is not very well known because it's only in Mark. And people tend to read Matthew or John first, right? People read Matthew and John the most out of the Gospels. Then they read Luke. And people read Mark last. Mark's the least read of the four Gospels. So people don't know this one because it's only here and it's only a few verses. The parable of the seed growing. The king says that the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. How simple is that? Y'all know how farming works, right? Some of y'all have some tomato plants at home. Y'all know this. You plant them, and then all you can do is wait, and that's what he's saying. 
Now you got to make sure you water. you got to make sure some sun goes. You probably didn't put it in the closet. You get this. Look what it says. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he, he knows not how. Folks, this is the fascinating thing about the, the kingdom of God. We don't have control over the growth. It is the mercy of God and the plan of God and the glory of God to grow it. Some churches start and have a thousand people in just a few years. Some, some churches start and never get to a hundred people in 50 years. God's in charge of the growth. We need to make sure that we understand that. Farmers know this really, really well. They plant, they, they till, they water, they do all of that. They do everything that God has asked them to do in, in, in farming a plant. But at night they go home. I heard a preacher preach once and said, I sleep really good because it's not in my hands. Nobody stays up late at night wondering if the tomato plants are going to grow. You can't control that. And if you've ever had a garden before, some years, man, they grow and you've got more tomatoes than you can handle. And some years, the tomatoes just don't come as much and there's nothing you can do about it. And you did the exact same thing. That's what it's saying here. He knows not how. We need to understand this about the growing kingdom of God, that God grows it. Right? We need to understand this. Some of you all are, 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 have only been in the church like three or four years and you've already read the whole Bible, you're wanting more, you're already leading people to Christ, you're doing all this. Some of y'all have been in church 50 years and still don't read your Bible. Why the growth rate happens like that, I don't know. Sometimes it's shameful, sometimes it's shaking my head. Some of y'all have already stopped doing some of the terrible sins that you do. Some of y'all are still doing them. Some of us are still phony and, and hypocritical, and we've been that way for a long time. Some of us know that we shouldn't be getting drunk and we're still getting drunk and you've, been, you, you've heard that forever. Some of us used to get drunk all the time. God changed our lives and now we know that it's sin. We don't want to get drunk anymore. Why the growth rate happens like that, I don't know. But God teaches us here that we don't know how that it happens. But God is working and God is growing. But what I want you all to see in this also, if we want to put like a little second point underneath this, growing kingdom is this. The kingdom only grows. See, where people tend to go wrong, and I know because I say this and y'all say this and we act like this, well, it's in God's hands. And we tend to put all of this there. But that's not what God is saying. God is saying the growth is in his hands. You cannot control results. I've got it written in my Bible when Jake Beatty preached here one time. It's outstanding. Jake says, well, I've got it written here somewhere. Jake says we ought not worry. God is the one responsible for the results. I loved that word from Jake. It is written in here somewhere, Jake. Right there. God is the one responsible for the results. I've never forgotten Jake preaching that. God's the one responsible for the results. I didn't, I didn't come here today hoping that we get some results accomplished. I didn't. I don't know how the results come about. God makes them come about. But here is what God is saying in the parable. There are no results if we don't do the part that God has told us to do. That is sowing the seed. He is still building on what Jake preached two weeks ago of the parable of the sower. That the man of God or the woman of God is not asked to go and make results. We don't, we don't care about that. We care about being faithful unto God, sowing the seed. We care about preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel. I want you all to know about the great love of God and the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus dying. We are sowing the seed. 
I want us in every Bible study that we do, Sunday school classes, college Bible studies, everything that we're doing, I'm wanting you to be getting deeper in the Word of God. I understand this parable that God wants me sowing the seed, and He's in charge of the results. Now, the Bible says that when you sow the seed, that the Word of God always works. I preached on that last week in the passage that's right up here before. Remember, God continues to say, be careful what you're listening to. You need to make sure you're hearing the word. God has made it so that people are preaching the word, sowing the seed, and you've got to make sure you're listening to it. But there is absolutely no way there's going to be any growth in you if you're not listening to the word of God. So here's the point of his parable. The kingdom of God is, is just like that. Seed that is thrown. But once the truth has been shared, the truth has been taught, there's nothing we can do about it. Here's why I said this is a good word for the, for the USA. Because we, we, we start buying into, if we do certain things, then we can make the kingdom of God grow. You get a young, cool pastor or something like that, get somebody up here wearing a cool t-shirt, Superman t-shirt or something, something like that, and we think, man, people are going to want to start coming. People coming is not anything of a picture to the growing kingdom of God. Y'all, a testimony to the growing kingdom of God is when your heart starts to hate your sins, turn from them, and embrace Jesus. That's when the kingdom of God is growing. You know why I'm thrilled to still be pastoring in Fairdale? Not because we're blowing the doors out with hundreds and hundreds of people here, but because I know many of you all are being changed by the word of God on the inside. Many of you all are stronger in faith now than you were a year ago. Many of you all are steps closer to, to looking like Jesus than you were last season. Not because we've got so many people. We need to remember this. We build a new building, get us a gym. I, I have no doubt. If we were to build a gym over here, I think we could probably get 100, 200 young people here right away. Right? We get some free basketball going and pass out some drinks. We'll have a ton of people here. But that sounds like a headache to me if I'm trying to act like all of them are in the church and I'm their pastor and they're claiming to know Jesus and all of that. That's not a good thing. People claiming to know Jesus that have not had their heart changed is a scary situation for us to be in. The Bible says, listen to this, the Bible says that in judgment, God's going to sit you down and deal with you. But you know what he also says? That in judgment, God's going to sit me down and deal with me because of you. That's That's scary. I have to give account for you. The pastor has to give account for the people. So I don't want a whole lot of people saying they know Jesus that don't. I want a lot of people who have heard the word and you're dealing with it. The kingdom of God, though, grows, but we don't know how. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite commentators, is speaking to this. He says, the earth, as we all know, never brings forth corn of itself. He says, the earth, listen to this, funny. The earth is the mother of weeds, but not of wheat. The hand of man must plow it, scatter the seed, or else there would never be a harvest. He goes on and he says, for you to hate the instrumentality of teachers and preachers, preachers, for you to neglect the teaching of the word of God, is to expect corn to grow where no seed has been sown. 
And this notion that our children will grow up and be okay with wishful thinking is so foolish. I don't have as much experience as you all, so I'm not speaking of you like I know better, but I'm speaking from based off what I know from the Word of God. You cannot have wishful thinking with your children and then not lead them and teach them well. A man reaps what he sows, it says in Galatians chapter 6. He goes on, he says, Let us mark this truth then, for it is deeply instructive. It is humbling, no doubt, to ministers and teachers of others. The highest abilities, the most powerful preaching that can be done, the most diligent workers in a church cannot command success. Churches are not successful because they have good people, although the business world wants us to bring that into the church. Only God gives life, he says. And God gives life when the word is explained. To be honest and to be to be open, I've probably failed some of you all as pastor. Now, to some of you all, I've probably given a lot, but to some of you all, I've probably failed you. And to that, I would say, please have mercy on me. Be patient. Tell me. Help me grow with it. And even despite my failures with you and your family, you're still here. And perhaps you're still growing. Why? Because you're not going to grow whether I do a good job or a bad job necessarily. You're going to grow if you're getting the word of God and God grows it. That's what he's teaching. He goes on, and this is outstanding. He says, in all of the stages with the corn, listen to this, whether it be uh, the planted seed or whether it be the beginning of harvest, whether it be the first blade or the beginning of the ear or whether it be... Uh, the full corn in the ear, he says, in all of these stages, one great thing is true about it. Even at its weakest point, it is a living plant. Amen. That God is working. I'm telling you, God is growing. Some of y'all feel like you were such a mess. Some of y'all are upset because uh, you've been failing here lately. But I want you to be encouraged that God is growing you. He goes on. The weakest child of, in God's family is still a true child of God. Amen. The seed of grace has really come up in the heart, though at present it be only in the blade. He is alive from the dead. A wise man says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Do you feel that about your heart, that God is growing you? That God is growing you. He says, let us mark this truth, for it is full of consolation. Let us not despise grace because we are weak. Let us not despise grace because it is weak. Or think people are not converted because they are not yet as strong in the faith as St. Paul. I realize that you may be here today thinking, well, hey, I'm not as strong as this person. I'm not as committed as this person or whatever. Would you be encouraged here today that you have heard the word of God, it is working in you, and you know that God is growing you. Maybe at a different rate than somebody else, but you feel that God is growing you. He goes on, let us remember that grace, like everything else, must have a beginning. The mightiest oak tree was once an acorn. The strongest man was once a baby. Better a thousand times have grace in the blade than no grace at all. The kingdom of God is like this. Very simple strategy. Sow the seed. Spread the word. Sow the seed. Spread the word. What I think is so funny, I, I'm so thankful for Greg Longacre, and I've been friends with him for a while, but I've known Greg since about 2004. 
Some of y'all don't know it, but I've been doing FCAs up at the high school since 2004. It's 2016. We're 13 years in to us being up at the high school. It wasn't really until about three years ago that we saw any real fruit from it. For the first six, seven, eight years, I thought we were going up to the high school and, and talking and nothing was happening. We're not in charge of what's happening, are we? It says right here, he knows not how. He scatters the seed on the ground, he sleeps, he rises at night, the seed sprouts and grows. We don't know how it happened. Some of you young people here are absolutely loving that I'm your pastor and you want me to teach you everything. Some of you young people here don't want that. You ignore phone calls, won't get together, don't want to be taught. Why people grow at different rates, I don't know. Some of y'all here are struggling in your marriages and you come help, asking desperately, hey, help us, we don't want to lose it. We want our marriage to honor God. Some of us here keep it to ourselves and we'd rather lose it than actually deal with it. We, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is a, is a growing kingdom, but we don't know how. May we as a church understand, listen, May we as a church understand that we're not here trying to get results or success as we would define it. Instead, let's shift that all together and say, I just want to do what God would have me to do. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know if that means that y'all will fire me or that y'all will celebrate me. I don't know if that means that, you know, I could end up in jail or, or that make me better y'all's friend because I'm pointing you to the word or that will make me your enemy because you don't want that. I don't know, and, but we as a church... And you, beyond the pastor, you must understand parables like this, that the kingdom of God grows when God grows it, but what God wants the people in the kingdom to do is be faithful to sow the seed. Parents, be faithful to sow the seed to your children. Siblings, be faithful to sow the seed to your brothers and sisters. Sow the seed, sow the seed. May our towns and our schools and our neighbors and our streets not see us as trying to make them get to church or something like that, but may they see us as faithful to point them to the truth. Every once in a while you'll see churches that are hung up on numbers and how many people are here and all that. Those are certainly good metrics to, to gauge some things by. I know how many people are here every single time we do it. But what's so much more important of whether we had 210 or 190 is did your hearts receive it and did God grow it? Did the seed land on the good soil or did it land on the rocky? The kingdom of God grows. Absolutely it does. Hear that. The king grows his kingdom. We don't know how, but I want to ask, is it growing in you? Then we move on to my third and final point. The growing kingdom is a majestic kingdom. Majestic is something that is kingly and glorious and beautiful and, and big and strong and, and mighty. In verse 30 it says, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? So he's, he's looking for an analogy, a parable, if you will. What's this actually like? What can I say to get you to say, yeah, that's like it? He says, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which in his mind is the smallest seed, the smallest seed that there is. He's, he's talking about the kingdom of God being tiny, I mean, almost insignificant, yet great potential, but small and insignificant, weak, if you will. Yet when it is sown, notice again, there, is, there must be a sowing there. 
When it is sown, it grows up and it becomes large. So large and, and bountiful that garden plants, it puts out large branches. It's a, uh, the mustard seed actually makes a bush, not a tree. But it's this big, broad, wide open bush where birds love to come into it and, and set up and find, find comfort there. And they build a nest and, and shade and all of that good stuff. He says the kingdom of God is like that. It starts out as, as something that seems like it doesn't matter, but, it, but it's getting there to glorious. What a great analogy of, of the kingdom of God. I want to remind you that just 2,000 years ago, you know, when you're little, you think 2,000 years ago, man, that's forever, I can't even imagine it, but now that I'm getting old, 2,000 years ago seems not, be that, not that far away. You know, 2,000 years ago, there were, listen to me, there were zero crosses anywhere. It never represented anything good. There wasn't a single building 2,000 years ago that had a cross on it. Not a single one. It was nothing good or meaningful. Crosses are everywhere these days. Crosses are common tattoos, cross necklaces. Crosses are everywhere. Crosses are now a symbol of hospitals, right? Red cross, blue cross. Crosses are everywhere. 2,000 years ago, not a single one. It was a horrible thing. Now they're all over the place. Why? Because the king died on one. But he came back to life. And before he did that, he had gathered 12 people together. said, follow me. I'm going to send y'all out. And send them out, he did. And they went, and they spread this kingdom. And the kingdom is growing and growing and growing, like I'm telling you. And they know not how. He just told them to preach it. But it grew and it grew and it grew. And within 2,000 years, it's everywhere. If, if, if 2,000 years sounds like still too much to you, let's do this. Y'all, 120 years ago, we didn't have a single cross in Fairdale. 120 years ago, no crosses here. No buildings with a cross, nobody walking around, zero, none. Praise the Lord, the Methodists got here, right down here on Mount Holly Road, and started the first church in Fairdale. Thank God for that. And a cross was set up there on a steeple, and people were beginning to hear that there is a king who has a kingdom, and that you can be invited into it if you will trust him that he died for you. Sometime after that, thankfully it wasn't much longer, the Baptists got here, doing the same work, preaching the same Jesus. Methodists and Baptists are on the same team, I want you all to know that, amen. 1916, the Baptists got here. Right here, actually, I think maybe across the street in that little building. Or actually, it may have been a building right over here that's already torn down, somewhere right here. 413 Fairdale Road is where they started in 1916. This is 2016, so we're about to celebrate 100 years. But before that, y'all, there was nobody here with a cross. Nobody here saying that we have a king that died for us, that loves us even though we fail him all the time, that we're going to follow with our lives and build our whole lives upon. He's the foundation for why we're living. This Jesus used to not be here in Fairdale, but now he is. His kingdom is. And in about 100 years, there's churches everywhere. There's probably a good 25 churches in Fairdale. We've only got about 8,000 people in this little town, but there's enough churches for all of us. The cross is around. The kingdom is growing. And it's getting awesome and big and glorious. Y'all, it wasn't just a couple years ago that we struggled to get 70 people here. It was just a few years ago that we struggled to get 70 people here at First Baptist Church of Fairdale. God is growing and it's, it's exciting. It's a majestic kingdom that he has. 
It's like this. It's like something really, really small. A man who, who is despised by the world, who has gathered in 12 people, but he says, follow me. We're going to accomplish a purpose for the glory of God. And it goes and it starts happening. It's growing and it's glorious. One of the reasons why my heart is so big and excited about Fairdale is that I think God's doing that now. We went through a little era here in Fairdale where it seemed like the churches were all struggling and dying and having a hard time, but God has reversed that, praise the Lord. We see growing churches here in Fairdale. The mustard seed is turning into a big, strong branch where people like you are coming in and hearing the word and the seed is being sown and God is building it up inside of you. The kingdom of God is like this, he says. The kingdom of God is like this. I want to end with this story here. So we have a king and his kingdom. We have a growing kingdom. that We don't know how it grows. God just does it. And then we've got a majestic kingdom. When he grows it, oh, it's awesome. And it's exciting. And it's glorious. If I was to ask you right now, where is the church growing more in the world than anywhere else? I wonder what you would answer. Some new reports are coming out telling us that the church is growing more right now in 2016 in the small country where it is illegal to be a Christian in the Middle East of Iran, I-R-A-N. There are more people coming to Christ there than anywhere else in the world right now. The Iranian revolution of 1979, listen to me, 37 years ago, established a hardline Islamic regime. Over the next two decades, Christians faced increasing opposition and persecution. Listen to this. All missionaries were kicked out of Iran. Evangelism was outlawed against the law. Bibles in Persian were banned and soon became scarce, and pastors were killed. The church came under tremendous pressure. Many feared that the small Iranian church, which was not more than maybe 500 people in the entire country, would soon wither away and die. But the exact opposite happened. And despite continued hostility from the late 1970s until now, Iranians have become the Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East. God is working there. Listen to this fact. More Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries put together. 1,300 years leading up to 1979, less people came to know Jesus than have there in the last 20 years. I want to read to you a couple stories. One man, they've got his name here, was a violent man. He used to sell drugs and weapons. One day, a friend gave him a private, secret New Testament. After reading the Bible for five straight days, he gave his life to Jesus. When his family and friends saw his transformed life over the ensuing months, many of them also came to faith. Now he has a church meeting in his house. Or what about this guy? He was a teacher in the Islamic religion. One day, while studying at an Islamic seminary in Iran, he found a New Testament that had been boldly left in the library intentionally placed there out of curiosity he picked it up he was a religious scholar and was deeply shaken over time he fell in love with jesus today he is a pastor and church planter in iran or one more what about this sweet sister her earliest memories of life are being raped by her family at age 11 she was sold into marriage she was a young drug addict who to a young drug addict who abused her, then divorced her when she was only 17 years old. Upon returning home, she was raped again until she decided to leave. On the streets of Iran, 
running for dear life, she heard the gospel preached. She trusted in Christ. In time, she found a Christian man that married her. As they were receiving training in evangelism and church planning, she felt called to go back to her home and to her family that had treated her so badly. Her entire family repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus as Lord. Now her and her husband lead the church that meets with her family. All of these people know themselves to be great sinners who have done bad things, but now they know the grace and love and forgiveness of God. There are pictures circulating of Iran right now of pools being full of people being baptized. Dozens and dozens and dozens of Iranians coming. The kingdom of God, folks, is like a mustard seed. When it looks like nothing is happening, God's about to make it beautiful and glorious. And God has not asked a single one of us to have the answer or to fix it. God has asked us to hear the call and to be obedient to be faithful, to sow the seed. You may be here right now thinking that your spouse is very far from God. Keep being faithful. You may be thinking, man, my children are all over the place and I must have failed them. Be faithful. Keep it up. Sow the seed. You may be praying and praying and praying for some people you know to come to know Jesus. Be faithful. Sow the seed. But may we trust that it indeed is a kingdom of God that the king reigns over and he can be trusted. Let's pray together. Father, Father, thank you for parables on the kingdom. Father, thank you that Jesus is such a great teacher to break this down for us. It's like a seed. It's like a farmer who sows the seed. God, we pray that our church would get this. God, we're not impressed too much with great great results or success. We want to be faithful unto you. Oh, Father, thank you for the kingdom of God. We pray that our king would reign in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.